Hello and welcome to the Estate Planners Podcast. My name is Anthony Brinkman and this is the place for will writers, estate planners and solicitors that are interested in finding out the tips, tools and technicalities to best help their clients. This is episode 20 entitled Presenting the Property Protection Trust. To the professional estate planner, a property protection trust, PPT for short, is a pretty well understood concept. It'll almost certainly have been part of your basic training. Even if you're very new to the industry, the PPT will be familiar to you along with the requisite understanding of joint tenancy and tenants in common. You'll probably have presented the concept to your clients many times, I'm sure, and you will have produced wills and hopefully read through those wills that contain these types of trust and hopefully understood those various clauses and cleared up any words in the clauses that you don't fully understand. Underpinning the understanding of the PPT itself, we also, of course, understand the will, what a will is, how it works, what the words in the will mean. And the other essential element of understanding a PPT is, of course, the trust. What is a trust? How do trusts operate? What's a trustee and a settler and a beneficiary? Given the level of comprehension of property protection trusts and all that sits below that understanding, it can be quite difficult to put yourself in the mind of the client that has no understanding of them. You don't know what the client already has a grasp of and, even more important, what they don't understand or even what they have false data on. Suppose, for example, that your client believes that a trust is something that is only for wealthy people. This supposed fact could be very solid in their mind. They might hold that to be a true and stable datum, that a trust is only for wealthy people. But you don't know that, do you? You don't know what is in your client's mind. The false data might be something like, Trusts don't work. I've heard that one before. Or trusts are complicated. Or it might be something quite specific like trusts are for offshore investments. The point is that you don't know what a client already understands, what they don't understand, or what they have existing misunderstandings about. Now at some point I will do a specific episode on how to handle falsely held information. And that will address how to locate that false data, how to deal with those beliefs that people have, which seem to be quite solid and won't shift even when true data is presented. But for the purpose of this episode, we'll keep it simple because, well, some false data will simply blow when the true data is known or presented to the person. Now, of course, this can apply not just to PPTs, but to any of the services that we provide. The reason that I'm picking on the PPT as opposed to anything else is that it is one of the more commonly misunderstood services and it does have some complexities connected with it. I've observed that even some very experienced solicitors and estate planners will sometimes shy away from discussing or presenting this option with clients. So let's start with a very basic understanding of what a PPT actually is, what it does, and let's give it the most common use of a PPT, which is 
to protect each half of a main residence that is owned by a couple. Let's suppose that we have a married couple that are in their 50s, they have two children, and that their property is worth £400,000 and is mortgage-free. The property is already owned as tenants in common. So Mr and Mrs both make a will containing a property protection trust. On first death, let's suppose that's Mr, the trust comes into effect and gives Mrs a life interest in what was Mr's half of the property. Mrs can now live in that property for the rest of her life, or could otherwise benefit from it by, for example, receiving any rental income that the property generates. At the end of Mrs's life, the defined beneficiaries as given in Mr's will now inherit the property, and typically those beneficiaries will be the children of the testator. Okay, so whilst this is a simple explanation of what the trust is and what it does, the client that you're presenting the concept to can become confused along the way. And we need to eliminate the potential confusions from our presentation. So how do we do this? Well, the first point is to ensure that the presentation of the PPT is made at the right moment. If you think back to episode one, the most common mistake, there is a tendency for estate planners to give advice and to answer questions too early in the estate planning process. If you've tried to present the concept too early, then you have significantly increased the chances of misunderstandings and confusions entering in. So what is too early? Well, again, this information is from episodes one, two, and three. So for a full understanding of this point, I suggest reviewing those. But the simple view is for you to have completed a full and thorough fact find with the client before you start to present any of the products and services that solve the client's problems. Make sure you fully understand the family structure, the makeup of the assets, and all the pertinent information about the client. Plus, most importantly, what is it that they are trying to achieve with their estate planning? Prior to having obtained the full fact find, therefore, you should not be presenting the concept of a property protection trust. Secondly, you should be aligning the benefits of the PPT to the client's stated objectives. For example, the client has said that they want to make a will to ensure that everything is as simple as possible for their children. And also that they want to, in their words, make sure the kids get what we've worked hard for. So you have two objectives there, don't you? you can now align the PPT to those two objectives. The presentation of this service has to be personalized to the client that you're sat in front of and personalized in the direction of their goals. When I say it needs to be personalized, I mean you should be using the client's circumstances, the names of their children, for example, when you're talking about what the Property Protection Trust does, how it works, and what its benefits are. Talk about their children, Jane and Andrew, not just people. Uh, don't just talk about your beneficiaries. You know, make it specific to that person or that couple that you're sat in front of. And again, make sure that that personalized presentation is done in the direction of their goals. Now, how would you do that? Well, let's take the 
make sure the kids get what we've worked for element of our example clients here. The PPT does, of course, help to achieve that, doesn't it? If half the property is protected on first death, then there is a significant step made towards ensuring that the kids get their inheritance. You must use that alignment. Let's see how this would play out in the appointment. So the fact find is concluded and you say to the clients, okay, so let's take a look back at the goals that you had in mind for this meeting. You wanted to ensure that your two children, Jane and Andrew, get your inheritance. The main asset of your estate is, of course, this property, and you've managed to pay off your mortgage on it, which is great. So let's take a look at how this will work. I'm going to pick on you first, Mr. Smith. Apologies for that. But let's say that you were to have passed away before Mrs. Smith. So what would you want to have happen at that point to this property? Well, I'd, I'd want Mrs. Smith to get the house along with everything else. Okay, that's great. So, Mrs. Smith, uh, you would now own all of the assets of the estate, is that correct? Yes, they both say. Now, notice what I'm doing here. I'm letting the client take their own walk down that future path of estate distribution, rather than me telling them what can happen. And this, by the way, is the third point, which kind of overlaps the second point, which is to lead the client down their own path of discovery to observe what problems could interrupt their goals. All right, back to the meeting. So, Mrs. Smith, you would now own all of the assets, is that correct? Yes. Okay, so let's go forward from there. What happens next? Well, then when Mrs. Smith dies, everything goes to the kids. Okay, that's fine, that makes sense. But let's just go back one step here. So you've, well, let's say you've died last week, Mr. Smith. So today, now, Mrs. Smith owns all of the assets. However, let's just concentrate on the house for a moment as this is the most valuable single asset. So again, what happens next? Well, then it goes to the kids. Okay, but Mrs. Smith is still alive today and hopefully continues to live a long and happy life. Yes, okay, that's true. All right, good. So if we're going to look to ensure that Jane and Andrew get your assets, then we need to just consider whether there's anything that could happen during Mrs. Smith's life that could reduce the estate or possibly even eliminate the estate with your children ending up with nothing. Things like what, they ask. Well, I can think of a few vulnerabilities at this point, but is there anything that you're aware of that could be a problem? Well, I guess there is what happened with your Uncle Jim, isn't there? Uncle Jim's first wife died of breast cancer when she was 49, and he ended up getting married again after that when he was, I think he was about 60 at that point. He then died a few years later, and his second wife, nice though she was, she didn't really have much of a relationship with Jim's kids, our nieces. So, well, I don't think they're really going to see any of their inheritance. So you see, this is where their experiences, their fears, their concerns are going to be far more relevant than the examples that you can give. We know that there are all kinds of situations that could reduce the inheritance and you throw those into your presentations too. But your clients 
originating the problems that they've seen, that they've experienced. They're far more powerful, aren't they? They're, they are meaningful to the client because they've seen them. They're very real. Once those potential future realities are in view, then at that point, and only then, do you want to be presenting the solution. So you see the sequence here. We've got the goal established. You've already asked the client what it is that they want to see you for today. What do they want to have happen? What's important to them? So we've got their goal in mind. Simplify things for the kids. Make sure the kids get the inheritance, whatever their goal is or goals. We've then got the problem or the problems that stop that goal from being achieved. And then we can present the solution to the problem. First, the goal then the problem, then the solution. Far too often I've seen this presented in reverse. If an estate planner's attention is on the selling of a product rather than selling a solution, then the chances of the client availing themselves of the property protection trust in this example is seriously reduced. The PPT might well be the right advice. It might be exactly the right thing for the client to do. But if they're going to see that, if they're going to get on board with this being the right solution. And if they're going to pay for that solution, then the sequence of the appointment should help them to come to that conclusion themselves. Why does somebody buy anything? Essentially, every purchase of anything solves some kind of problem. You buy a sandwich because you're hungry or because that you know you will be hungry soon. Hunger is the problem. The sandwich is the solution. Hunger is very real to you. You've been hungry before and you didn't like it. So you avoid it by filling your fridge. Even luxury products or non-essential purchases solve problems. A holiday or a sports car or a spa day, they all solve problems. So by leading the client down that future path of possibilities of the different things which can happen that can interrupt their goals, they observe the problems for themselves don't they they find those problems they can see that it would be possible for mister to get remarried meet somebody new to get taken advantage of in some way like through a con or a scam or something like that there are all the different ways in which property assets can become reduced which you're aware of and you could present those to the client but if the client is presenting them to you if the client is observing what problems can happen that is going to be more real to the client okay the fourth point is that you need to present the price along with the solution a person cannot agree to go ahead with the ppt if they don't know how much it costs so a couple of tips on this firstly don't present the full price of the will with the ppt if the clients have already agreed to go ahead with the basic will Let's say that you charge £300 for a basic couple's will and wills containing a PPT are £800. So what you want to do here is present the difference. Present the £500 difference to upgrade the basic will to include a PPT. And the other tip is to align the cost to the problem it solves. In this case, we're talking about the potential loss of the value of half of the property. If the property is worth, what did we say, £400,000, then that would be a loss of £200,000. Or, turning it to a positive, it would be protecting and preserving the £200,000 worth of inheritance for the children. The cost of doing that is £500. 
This helps the client to evaluate the exchange, doesn't it? And the fifth point here is that the explanation of joint tenants and tenants in common should be done in a easy to grasp fashion. When and how should this be explained? Well, the first point when the matter potentially comes up is during the fact find, isn't it? When you're asking the clients about what assets they own and how they own those assets. Do you own this property, Mr. and Mrs. Smith? You do. Okay. Are you both on the title? You are. Okay. And are you joint tenants or tenants in common? To which question comes the blank look from the clients usually. <laughs> that is the likely first point of addressing this matter. But is that actually the right time to deal with it? I'd suggest it isn't. Now, this isn't an essential point. It's fine to deal with that question at that time of doing the fact find. But I would say that a better time would be later when you're actually presenting the Property Protection Trust itself. Now, if you're going to embrace this point of not answering questions or giving advice too early, then deal with the joint tenants or tenants in common point later. One way of doing that is by doing a land registry title search on the property before you go out to see the clients. That way you already know the answer to that question, don't you? I've heard several very effective ways of explaining what joint tenancy and tenants in common is. But I think the best way is the way in which my colleague Rebecca Maxwell uses. And that is the Mars bar or the Twix. It's such a good analogy that I can probably simply leave it there, can't I? But let's give you the full version. There are two ways that you can own the property, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. The first way is as joint tenants. Now, that's a little bit like owning a Mars bar. You can both own the Mars bar whilst you're alive. But as soon as one of you passes away, the entire Mars is now owned by the survivor. The other way is called tenants in common. If you own your property as tenants in common, then that's a bit more like owning a Twix. When one of you passes away, you can choose to leave your half to whoever you choose. It's a great example. And it's a very visual representation, isn't it, of course? It's super easy to grasp, and it tends to stick in the mind very well. So well, in fact, that I've even heard the people that Rebecca has trained refer to property owned as tenants in common as being a Twix property. That's a far more effective way of explaining joint tenants, tenants in common than a purely technical explanation, which can be very dry and unmemorable. Technical explanations can be so ineffective that you'll have clients in complete denial of the concept, saying things like, well, we're not tenants, we actually own the property. In other words, they hear the word tenant and they hang on to this as a word most commonly associated with renting property. So let's just recap on these five points that you can use whilst presenting property protection trusts. Firstly, only present the concept of the PPT after you've done a full and thorough fact find, which includes discussions about what the client wants to achieve. Secondly, align the PPT to the client's stated goals and objectives and personalize the presentation. Number three, walk the client through those future possibilities of estate distribution and help them explore the problems that might stop their objectives. Number four, present the price along with the features and benefits of the Property Protection Trust. And number five, present the joint tenants, tenants in common concept, ideally at the same time as the PPT itself, if possible, and explain it visually rather than technically. All right. 
So hopefully that is going to help you with your presentation of PPTs in the future. If there are any topics that you want to be covered, that you'd like to be covered, then please feel free to send your requests to anthony.brinkman at twp.co.uk and I'll see if I can fit those suggestions into the schedule. I've been listening to podcasts for several years now myself and always hear presenters making the suggestion of liking and subscribing. Same with things like YouTube videos. It gets said so often that it kind of becomes something that you get deaf to. You don't really hear it anymore. But now that I'm on the other side of the microphone, I have to say that liking, subscribing, following, these are actually really important when you can't see or you can't interact directly with your audience. So please do like, subscribe, follow. It does make a difference. All the best until the next episode. And as always, thank you for listening.